Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. All right. All right. Timberlake Church, uh, really good to be with you guys. Um, as Ben said, my name is Mark. Ben is an amazing leader, uh, an amazing pastor, amazing guy, and I uh, just love getting to know him. And uh, good to be with you guys this weekend. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Isaiah chapter 61. That's where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to jump right into this because uh, I really see in Isaiah 61, there's a lot of Bible passages that you could choose to define a life. There's a lot of passages you could choose to say, this is what's going to actually define my purpose and my direction in life. And Isaiah 61 is actually a really good one because it really has three movements. And, uh, and, and Ben said, you know, you guys work with notes. And so I, I did a lot of uh, hard work to try to figure out how to do that. And so you've got some real heavy notes uh, there, if you got them there. Uh, <laughs> and so you got three big movements, uh, the how, the what, and the why. So we're going to jump into these and see what we do. The first is the how, uh, meaning how are you going to live a life of power? How are you going to live a life where uh, you actually have purpose in your life, where you have meaning in your life, satisfaction, fulfillment in your life? And, uh, and, and Isaiah 61 is a great passage because it starts off like this. It starts off uh, chapter 61, verse 1. Uh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. So just stop right there. This is the, the how of how you are going to live any kind of life of passion or meaning. That okay, what happens with us is that we think if we're going to have meaning and purpose in life, it's going to come because you and I can muster it up. We can kind of find the secret in ourselves. And so, hey, just, you know, maybe I'll come to church and someone will give me the secret, you know, sauce to find meaning in life. The three points and a poem that will help me say, okay, now I've got it. I know the direction of my life. And the problem is, is that you're seeking it in your Yourself. Now, there's something to that that actually makes a bit of sense, which is um, oftentimes there are people here who uh, maybe in your spiritual life, you're not actually working hard enough. I'm going to end up saying that it really has nothing to do with you because the power doesn't actually come from you. It comes through you because the power to do anything meaningful in your life comes from the spirit, not you. But before we get to that point, some of you actually just need to try harder because I talk to, I get the opportunity to speak to a lot of church planters and leaders. And what I find is, is people going, Hey, how can I grow my church? How can I actually do this? How can I do that? And I look at them and I see laziness. Like I see guys who got into ministry because they thought it'd be like warm spaces and no heavy lifting. And then I say, listen, what does the Apostle Paul talk about when he writes First and Second Timothy? He says, here's the image of Christianity, Timothy. You are supposed to be an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier. That, those are people who get up early, who work extremely hard in the world. And then I talk to people in ministry or people who are in the church, and they're not pursuing Jesus with everything they are. They're kind of mailing it in. And maybe that's you. Maybe you just kind of go through the rhythm of spiritual life and you don't actually get up and go, what does discipline look like in my life? Like, what does it actually look like spiritually to be a farmer, to be an, to be an athlete, to be a soldier? Why does the Apostle Paul say soldier? Because you and I, whether we know it or not, are in the midst of a war. You know that, right? 
We are in the midst of a spiritual war at every moment of our life. I have three daughters, 10, eight, and six. And every moment that they're living, I have this war going on. So I didn't grow up in a, uh, a Christian home at all. And so when I tell my kids about Jesus or I sit down with them and read them uh, uh, the Bible at night, you know what my family looks at me and says? Almost the same thing every time. When you read your kids the Bible, when you tell your kids about Jesus, here's what you're doing, Mark. You're brainwashing your children. That's what my family says. Now, every time they say that about me, what do you think I say to them? You're darn right I am. Because if I don't brainwash my kids, then you will or Beyonce will, or Grey's Anatomy will, because they're gonna say to my kids through the lyrics of songs and through the subtlety of media, here's what sex is, here's what womanhood is, here's what power is. And so what is my job to make disciples of my girls, to actually have a counter influence, an alternative reality that I have to say, this is the ways of Jesus, this is the way to live your life because you're in the midst of a war. So the first thing that must be said is, if you think, if you're mailing it in, in your Christian life, if you're just kind of walking through like, hey, I don't know, I believe in God, I go to church, I say some, you know, copped prayer before I eat, and that's it? Some of you just need to hear, you're in the midst of a war, this is not peacetime. You got 15 minutes on this planet, so we got to figure out, what are you going to actually do with it? So some of us just need to hear that. Now, others of you, you're fighting too hard, meaning you think that if you could just go inside of yourself, you're listening kind of to the new age rhetoric, go inside of yourself, find yourself. And if you want meaning in life, it's because you got the divine spark in you. So just go in and find yourself. And here's what Isaiah chapter 61 verse one just said. The power doesn't come from you. It comes through you. It comes through him. It comes through the spirit of God. That's the only power you've got. That's the only way toward joy, satisfaction, and power in your life you have. It doesn't actually come from you. It comes through him, the spirit. Now, here's why that's really good news, because it means it's not about you, and you're a disaster. You know that, right? Like, you're a wreck. You are, you are sinful, narcissistic, self-involved, turned in on yourself, right? Luther defined sin as homo incurvatus, humankind turned in on themselves. And listen, if you came, my church has gotten used to this. So sometimes when I'm new, I got to kind of ease into it. So I don't want to be offensive, but you're a wreck. All right. Listen, our church, kind of the theme is Revelation 3, where Jesus looks at the church and he goes, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's Jesus-like seeker message to the church, all right, in the book of Revelation. And if I ever get a building, we're, right now we're looking to uh, build a building at our church, and, uh, and so we're getting this land, and we've got to figure out how to raise money and all the rest of it. And if we ever get it, uh, over the auditorium, I'm going to put Revelation 3. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Welcome to Village Church, all right? So hopefully you feel welcome, because we've got to start with the place where, what are you going to do with your life? And this is why that's really good news. Because some of you are sitting here right now going, the reason I couldn't have power in my life is because you have no idea what I did last night. You don't know who I am. I'm not a choir boy. And all these people around me right now, they're all righteous and sinless and holy. And so God could never use me to do anything. That's what some of you feel in life. And here's the thing. I'm the poster boy of God could never use me. The poster boy, I grew up in an atheistic home, okay? So atheistic. My brother's name is Matthew, and my, uh, my father made my mom spell my brother's name with one T as not to be biblical. He didn't want her to spell 
Matthew with two T's because there's a gospel called Matthew with two T's, okay? Four years later, they had me and named me Mark. Like, this guy never picked up a Bible before. Like, the, the irony wouldn't have struck him. Like, if I had another brother, he'd go, oh, let's name him Luke. That's a good name, right? He'd never read a Bible before in his life. My parents uh, got divorced when I was eight or nine years old. And when that happened, I acquired a psychological disorder called Tourette syndrome, all right? So those of you who know what Tourette syndrome is, it's not a way to be cool in high school, all right? So when you're looking at me and I'm kind of twitching up here and my faith twitching around, it's because I had Tourette syndrome through the tra trauma of my parents getting divorced. And so what would happen is I get all these little ticks and these habits and these things and I trade them out for other ones and I would just swear randomly, just like F-bomb, like just sitting in a bus stop, just F you, all right? Just, that's what I would do. And, uh, and so here's, here's the crazy thing. Here's the one job you're never gonna get if you say F-bombs at people randomly, okay? A pastor, all right? A preacher, it doesn't tend to work. All right, for God's love, ah, right? Hey, you can't, you can't even come to my church unless you're 18. That's not a church anyone's gonna come to. No, but why you can't, God would never use someone with that kind of messed up past, with those kind of messed up things to do anything for him. But then what happened is I'd never walked into a church till I was 19. I walked to a church and the only reason I stayed, why do you think I stayed? Girls, not donuts. Sheepers, <laughs> donuts. Girls! And I said, oh my gosh, I don't wanna go to church. It's gonna be musty and old and there's gonna be some guy up there preaching from a big Bible and the mothball, it's gonna smell like mothballs and be, and it was exactly like that, but there were girls there. So I was like, I love church, right? So I went to church when I was 19 years old. I became a Christian when I was 17. Went to church finally when I was 19. Went into ministry by the time I was 19 or 20. Moved out to Vancouver. Long story. God called me to plant a church seven years ago. So I was like, well, this is really going to stink because there's no Christians in Vancouver. So if I'm going to start a church, no one's going to... No, listen, Vancouver is the kind of place... Um, uh, they say Canada is probably one or two generations in regard to secularization ahead of you in the United States. And so I come to you from the future, right? <laughs> this is where you're going. And I want to give you some tips on what to do here because I planted a church with 16 people in my townhouse and it was me and there was no plan. All right, so let me just give you a snapshot of how secular um, uh, Canada is. There was a study done from McLean's magazine and the study was called, How Canadian Are You? All right, so, so here's what you gotta understand about West Coast Canada. It's very similar to, to down here where everyone's kind of spiritual, right? And so everyone, you know, oh, I believe in God and everyone wears Lululemon pants and eats kale and carries a water bottle and they think they're saved. And so here's the thing. How Canadian are you was the question. And it said uh, thousands of Canadians and it found that 30% of Canadians were most uncomfortable around evangelical Christians, the same percentage as other untouchables like drug addicts and child abusers. That's what Canada thinks about evangelical Christians, all right? Drug addict, child abuser, spiritual abuser. That's the city God told me to plant a church in. So I'm like, well, this ain't gonna work. I start with 16, we might get to 17 and wrap it up. So we had 17 
people and no plan. What I mean by that is I'm not very creative. So here was the plan. Gather people in a room. If we could get 50, that'd be great. Go to an elementary school. I'll open up the Bible and I'll just yell at everybody for an hour and we'll see what happens. So that's what we started to do. We gathered 50 people like, hey, you're breathing. Church member, all right, come in here. And then I just started to yell at everybody and say, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked, repent. And they go, okay. Right? And in Canada, you're not supposed to talk like that. You're supposed to talk in pear-shaped tones and tell everybody we're just having a conversation. We're just dialoguing. You have ideas. I have ideas. We all have ideas. All right, that's what you're supposed to do in Canada. I'm like, well, that's awful. So I'm just going to tell everybody their ideas are garbage. Tell them Jesus' ideas for their life are way better, and they should repent and give their life to Jesus. And they're like, how does he talk to us like that? I'm going to go get my friends. All right? And then they go get their friends and their friends would come and people started coming to Jesus. People started to get baptized. Marriages started to get healed. Addicts started to be set free. Crazy stuff started to happen. And so there was no plan. It was literally just preach through books of the Bible. So that's still what I do. Just verse by verse through books. We are three years. We've been in the gospel of Matthew now for three years. All right. We're in chapter 20 and, and most days it's chapter 20 verse 16 all right, that's the day, all right, that's the day, and just, yell. So, so people just started coming to faith, and this crazy thing started to happen, where this little elementary school gym started to get piled up, we had to go to two services, the dreaded two services, and I remember a woman came up, she said, this is going to be the nail in our coffin, I said, what are you talking about, she said, oh, I'm not going to be able to come and see Jane anymore, and then we're not going to be able to go to each other's houses and have a luncheon together, and we're not going to be able to build community. So the next day I had to get up and next Sunday I got up and I said, listen, we're going to do two services now because we didn't plant a church so that you could get more friends. We planted a church to reach people who are dying and going to hell. And so if you don't want to be here, go back to some church that you came from. Next week we're starting two services and we went to two services and that week we grew by 50 people. She left. So 49 people (laughs) in one week, one week. Just by going to two, because we were willing to kind of make a sacrifice. And so God started to do this thing where we couldn't keep up. I literally hired our second pastor when we were 1,200 people. It was me working out of a Starbucks by myself. That's a bad ratio. That's not good. No one's getting cared for. No one's getting cared for. And so people started to get their lives changed. We've been, we've been seeing people come to know Jesus, their lives being changed so much that we've had to just try to keep up. You know what? Just try to keep up. We did a, uh, a, church, a church service in the park called Church in the Park. Again, very creative. Um, last, last summer, last summer, we had 4,000 people sitting in a park, a public park in Vancouver in the middle of August. And what we did is we did worship, and then I preached about Jesus, and then we did baptisms. We had about 30 people signed up to be baptized on that day. We preached Jesus. And then we just said, hey, if you want to accept Christ today and get baptized, this is your time. We had people in the back interviewing these people. 96 people that day got baptized. 90, like, like 50, 60 people on the spot. Like, boom, I feel. And people like, like a terminally ill grandmother, 85 years old in her Sunday best, right? Walks up and she's just like, I've never been baptized. Like, Give me. There was this couple walking by. They're like, dude, we were hammered drunk at a party last night. We're, we're, tot- we're walking through the park and we hear about Jesus. And we're like, we need to give our life to this. And I'm sitting there in the tank with them, baptizing them as they publicly proclaim their faith in Jesus. I'm like, they're like, I'm like, these people are hungover. I'm like, I don't even know if this is legit. I'm like, go, go, go. 
Because there's literally, you just see, here's what happens when the spirit of the sovereign Lord decides to do something. You just play keep up in your life because that's where the power comes from. You try to manufacture yourself, it doesn't work. You give it up to him. You recognize your own depravity and your own wretchedness and, your, and you humble yourself. Then he has opportunity to do something. Then he has opportunity to move in such a special way. We had, uh, now I'm gonna give it, let you in on a little bit of a secret. Um, as pastors, sometimes you don't always want to go to church on Sunday and preach. Sometimes just like your jobs, you don't feel like it. And there was a Sunday a few months ago, don't tell my church, just between us, I was sitting backstage and I said, I actually want to quit. And I wonder how long it would take somebody to find me if I just jumped in my car and drove away, right? I'm just backstage and I went out and preached some nonsense sermon. I just got up and I, it was like the worst. It was like, I'm not even in the, it was like a Jonah, you know, Jonah when he, ah, Nineveh, you know, and, and I, I just got up and I'm like, I don't know, God hates you, I'll figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, just the worst. And then at a staff meeting on Tuesday, our administrator goes, we gotta, we gotta train the ushers. We train the ushers to do what? She's like, lead people to Christ. I'm like, why? She's like, well, I don't know what you said on Sunday. It must've been powerful. I'm like, what? She's like, nine people randomly just walked up to ushers and went, can you lead me to Jesus Christ, please? And, and they're like, uh, bucket? All right, they, they've never been trained how to lead anyone. They're ushers. So now we got to train our ushers. Why does all this stuff happen? Because the spirit of the sovereign Lord blows. And when he does, you're just playing keep up. Understand the how. The how is not you. And if I was one of those guys who said, say it with me now, this would be the time. But I'm not. So let's go to the second point, which is the what. Okay, you got the how figured out. The only way you're going to do it is not in your own power, but the power of the spirit. Now the question is the what? That's the second thing. So what's the what? Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do something. Here's the what? To proclaim good news to the poor. What's this word here? If you're a Christian, you spend any time in church, this word here is gospel, right? Right? The euangelion, good news. The good news of not yourself, the good news of Jesus. That's the point of what you're supposed to do in life. You are supposed to proclaim the gospel. You gotta get the gospel right because here's the problem. Religion tells you, you have to earn your way to God. The gospel says God came down to you in the person of Jesus and he saves you not because of you, but in spite of you. And this is very important because we have churches filled with people who think that Christianity is about do a bunch of good stuff. Don't drink. Don't have sex before you're married. Don't watch rated R movies. And then God will love you. And then you'll go to heaven when you die. And you got a whole bunch of people tweaking this and living out this. And what does it do? It crushes them. How, I used to do young adult ministry for six years. They used to come to me and say, I grew up in a church where they told me not to drink, not to sleep around, basically don't do all the things I wanted to do. It crushed me, so I left. See, here's the problem. If you don't understand the gospel and you're preaching religion at people, it will crush them, even in the church. If all you do is tell people to be like Jesus, here's the problem, it will crush them because we're not Jesus. You know that, right? That's why Jesus had to be Jesus for you. The problem is, is you've been told your whole life, be like David. 
be like Abraham. Have you read David and Abraham? Don't be like those guys. Those guys are a disaster. Be like Jesus. Listen, here's the problem. When you do your devos in the morning and you're reading about Jesus and Jesus is hanging out with the prostitutes, what do you naturally do when you're reading that story? So here's the way to flip the way you read the Bible. Here's the way that has crushed a generation of people. I read the story and I'm Jesus. And I hang out with the prostitutes in my life and I minister to them. And that's what we think. That's not, that's not the way you're supposed to read the story. You're the prostitute. You're not Jesus? Are you kidding me? This is why Jesus had to come and die for you. Because you're the, pro- when you read Hosea, and God says, Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer the prostitute. And you're like, yes, I'm Hosea, the righteous prophet of the Lord. I shall tell every, you're Gomer. You're the prostitute who wakes up every single day and cheats on Jesus, but he saves you anyway. He pursues you anyway, not because of you, but in spite of you. You are unfaithful to him at every moment, every day. That's why he had to come and die for you. He took the wrath of God on himself on the cross so that you would never have to feel it. And once you start to understand the good news, now how often do I sit with Christians and go, even in my own church, day after day after day, I preach the same thing. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And they leave. Great sermon, pastor, which I hate, by the way, great sermon, nice. Or they say nice, nice sermon, nice. This is life and death at every moment. What do you mean nice? This shouldn't be nice. This should be, I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. I'm at the edge of a cliff at every moment. It was nice. And then they go for lunch. Drives me nuts. It's a fail. If it's nice, it's a fail. But they come oh, really? And what was it about? It was about if I do a good job, God will love me more. Goodbye. It's like, miss the, and so much of church life is about adventures and missing the point. Like I took my uh, daughters down to Disneyland, California, uh, a couple months ago. So there's this ride that my daughter wants to go on. She's 10 years old. It's like, I want to go on that ride. It's a two hour and 45 minute wait. Two hour, 45 minute wait. I'm like, uh, okay, here's what I'll do. And then I just feel like this moment is a moment where I can be a good example of a parent. So show her what a parent does, which is lays down their life for their kids, sacrifice for those kids. So I said, listen, honey, you go out with mom, you hang out with your sisters. I'm going to go sit in this two hour, 45 minute lineup. I'll text you when it's done. You come, we'll ride it. Oh, daddy, are you serious? Oh my goodness. She goes off. I sit in the thing, two, and a, two hours, 45 minutes. She comes back. I text, hey, come back. She comes back. She gets in front of me. I said, Sienna, here's the thing. I did all this so you could learn something. This is what parenthood is about. And one day you will do this same thing for your kids. And she goes, no, I won't. My husband will. Like, how quick do women learn this? I'll just marry some idiot and he'll do stuff I don't want to do. Adventure and missing the point, kid. I feel like the church is, is, is my daughter all the time. By the way, the Bible's not about you. It's about him. Every story's about him. Then we read it, we're like, no, I just want to try to do a good job. He came and did a good job for you. That's what grace is about. 
undeserved favor, not because of you, but in spite of you. He came, he died a death. You deserve to die. I deserve to die. We proclaim the good news. We understand the gospel. We understand what it does for us. Here's an opportunity you all have. You proclaim. You become good missionaries. I'm not talking about yelling and screaming. I'm talking about being able to understand the good news to the poor because you need to become good missionaries. So, so many of us complain. We're like, yeah, but what about the rise of secularism? It's going to kill everything. It's destroying our culture. You know, we're not a Christian culture anymore. So on and so forth. Listen, that ship sailed a generation or two ago for my country. And here's, here's the encouraging thing for us. Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist and a historian, he says this, secularization does not lead to the end of religion in a culture. On the contrary, he says, secularization stimulates innovation. You know what secularization is gonna do? It's gonna make all of us as the church go, we gotta figure out a way to do this right. These ways aren't working anymore. Fresh wineskins, man. You gotta figure out how to become a better missionary to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to the, to the soccer moms, whatever it is. You gotta figure out how to do it new. Something fresh, something different than the old stuff. Secularization is gonna innovate, force us as the church to go, we don't own culture anymore. So we better figure out how to love and proclaim grace and truth and the same. We better figure that out. And some of you are like, my gosh, I want to do that really well, but I'm an awful missionary, and so I can never do it. Boy, I wish I could articulate the gospel like I'm Spurgeon or something like that. Listen, you're a disaster. I know that, but I am too. And people go, oh, you get to get up and speak at conferences and leaders. Listen, I'm an awful pastor. Don't, again, this is between us, man. Don't tell my church this stuff. I'm terrible. Listen, when I was planting a church, I looked at a guy and I said, dude, here's what I want you to do. It's a big Chinese contingency in our neighborhood. I want you to start a Chinese speaking community group, Mandarin speaking community group. You're gonna kill it. You're gonna do awesome. It's gonna be amazing. He said, that's a great idea, Mark, but I'm Korean. I'm like, I know. I'm just saying you'd be good at it. What? Like, I'm awful. I make mistakes all the time. I told a woman that her husband was dead. And he wasn't. And she, I, she mourned his death for 45 minutes and I had the wrong guy. Sorry, what? That's my life. I have failed over and over and over again. You're like, yeah, I'm not a good missionary. I'm not a good missionary. I'm not a good pastor. I'm not a good leader. But somewhere along the line, 16 people in this tiny little thing has become all these people across Canada coming to know Jesus. People get, we're, we're, we, we just baptized our 1100th person in seven years. And listen, in the American South, that's a minor miracle. In Canada, that doesn't happen. That does not happen. Okay. <clears throat> Your identity needs to come from the gospel. Your identity needs to come from the good news. And you got to figure out how to become someone who can proclaim it to the poor. And then, that's the last thing, the why. The why is this. 
proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, listen, listen here's the thing. No one's gonna tell you that this is, the, this is the why of your life, all right? They're gonna tell you the why of your life is this. Is here's the why of your life. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoner. Prisoner, captive, brokenhearted. The why of your life is to go reach them. Go reach them. That's it. That's the why. Now, no one's going to tell you that. Turn on the TV, the radio, the podcast. No one's going to say you should define your life by going to reach those people. It's go hang out with the people you're comfortable with. See, here's the crazy thing about the church. When I finally entered the church when I was 19, I thought it was going to be filled with these people, like prisoners, captives. Like, I thought it was going to be raw. Think about your life. Is it surrounded by raw people? I thought the church was going to be like this. You'd come in and be like, because all I had was like, it was just me in the New Testament. I would just read it. And I'm reading all these people getting their heads cut off, torn apart by lions. The world is not worthy. So I'm like, oh man, the church can be jacked up. And I walked into the church and it was nice. It was filled with nice people, right? Hello, would you like, like I thought it was going to be whips and flares. Get, sit down, shut up. You may survive the service, maybe not. And I walked in and it was hummingbirds sucking pollen out of flowers on the worship slides. <laughs> Little green flowers everywhere. Everybody was so nice. You could, I figured it's like, you get a seat and shut up and be quiet. We're going to figure out if we die. It's like, you can sit anywhere you want. Welcome. Everyone's welcome. And everyone was so nice and soft and safe. And the stuff we were singing about, I couldn't tell what it was a new age philosophy it was nice. It was middle of the road. Everybody was so, it was every, I remember a guy looked at my wife when we started dating. We started dating and I went to Bible college and he looked at her and he said, the pastor got up and he preached a sermon that was, um, don't be unequally yoked, right? Don't date people who aren't Christians. So guy walks up to my, my girlfriend at the time, who went to be my wife and said, uh, you need to break up with Mark. And she's like, Why? Well, because uh, I saw him smoking. See, I was, I was a smoker, you know, eight, nine years, full time. It was the hardest thing that I could ever stop doing was smoke. I loved smoking, right? Loved it. Um, if you've never tried it, I mean, it's just um, first thing in the morning after a good steak. Anyways, so, 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 uh, so I used to smoke like in front of the, like in front of this big window at the church. I didn't know what was going on in there. I was like, flick butts again. And I didn't realize the whole worship team was in there every Sunday with the pastor, like praying for the service. And Anyways, so the guy said, um, I, saw, I saw Mark smoking outside the church. And she's like, what was he smoking? And he's like, uh, cigarettes. She's like, well, it's better than what he used to smoke. And there's this moment where we have to realize that See, here's the problem. We oftentimes look at where someone is. Don't do that. Look where they began. Look where they started. The church should be filled with brokenhearted, captive, prisoner, messed up, raw people. I remember the greatest day of our church planting thing was about a year in. I remember the call like it was yesterday. And I remember I started a church to reach guys like this. 
Like people like me, messed up, broken, disaster of a past. I had this skeptical life where I had to go through all of these questions. That's what the book that's coming out, Ben was talking about in August. It's the 10 top skeptical challenges toward Christianity and how we answer them. Because those are all the challenges I had to go through. Hell, exclusivity, sex, science, God's existence, all of that. So I, was go- I went through all of that. I had a disaster of a past. Then Jesus saved me, not because of me, but because of it. So I wanted to reach people like me. And so what started to happen, I started to look out and I started to notice all these like churchy people. I'm like, no, this is the worst. And then I got a phone call one day. Best day of my church plan up to that point was the day a guy called me up. He's like, hey, I live right in the neighborhood of where your church is. So we had this little cul-de-sac, all these $3 million homes right there. Hey, and people couldn't park. They couldn't find parking spots. So they're like parking 10 minutes away and they'd walk all these big groups. People would be like looking out their curtains, right? Just, just like the walking dead. Just groups of people coming in and coming out. Couldn't find a parking spot. So this guy, he's like, he parked his big Jeep and his two tires were up on my lawn. And I walked out and I said, hey man, can you please move your Jeep? And the guy with his little family had his two little girls in hand and he looks back at me and he gives me the middle finger and he said, F you, I'm going to church. And I'm on the phone, I'm like, yes, yes. I mean, no, that's awful. I can't believe the kind of people. I'm trying to get that one above the auditorium. Um, The elders won't let me. But that's, that's the kind of people that should fill your life. That's the kind of people that should fill the church, the raw, the prisoners. That's the why of your existence, by the way. Not to, not to get a new kitchen or to buy a second boat or a fourth house. Reach the brokenhearted and the captives. Reach them with your money and your time and your gifts and your passions. Go reach them. That's the why. That's why you should wake up in the morning. Because when you stand before Jesus, that's what he's going to ask you about. Now we start to feel the, oh man, oh man, the guilt, the burden. That's not my point. Remember my whole point to this point? You're a disaster anyway. So Jesus came and he was perfect for you. And I'll close with this and then I'll pray for us. The day I told that woman about her husband being dead and he wasn't, he wanted to live another three months um, was the worst day of my life. But here's what happened. Satan used it to totally ruin me. And I was 29 years old and I was three months out from planting my church. And I remember going to my office and staring out the window because I made the, the most awful mistake. It was an honest mistake, but an awful one. And Satan whispered in my ear and said, you're not a real pastor, man. You're just playing a game. You're not mature enough and you're gonna ruin people's lives if you do this. Do not plant this church. It's a mistake. And I had to get people to walk into my life to speak gospel into it and go, hey, man, you are beloved. In him, he is well pleased. Not because of your performance, but because of his performance. Don't forget that. You have failed today. Yes, you have. You are beloved. In him he is well pleased. Not in you, in him, in Jesus. So that's how we can stand up and leave and do mission and leave the failings behind because it's based on his performance, not yours. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting timberlakechurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 